so the inspired apostle tells us but be thankful for just the truth that you are receiving in this letter that the inspired apostle wrote to the Ephesian church because he gives you the big picture he gives you the big story he gives you all the facts about where this started where it is now and where it is headed and where it all ultimately will end praise be to God for that rejoice in the big picture rejoice in the the great story that in the mind and heart of the sovereign God Father Son and Holy Spirit in the fathomless depths of eternity past you were there and part of the plan be thankful for that that reason alone is reason enough to give thanks for now and for eternity and so we shall and so we must um, we good with sound now welcome to all of you here welcome to everyone who is watching welcome to everyone who is watching in Ohio Kentucky Virginia Tennessee if I'm leaving out of state please forgive me I welcome those who are watching if you are still watching in Poland in the Philippines in India in Nigeria in Canada and if I'm leaving anyone out, please forgive me. We love you all. We are so very happy and grateful and thankful that you have been listening and that you have been watching and that you have been joining us in this country and from around the world to hear the sovereign God speak to you, to all of us, out of his word. If you're so inclined to say hello, please do. We love you even from afar, and we are praying for you. So. Thank you for joining us, brothers and sisters in Jesus, from now all over the world. Thank you for joining our, our humble services. Now, to take you to the Voice of the Martyrs Global Prayer Guide, we come to the country of North Korea. These folks need our prayers. This is hard to get through. North Korea, as you can imagine, is a restricted country. Due to the communist government's secretive nature, little is known about the current status of Christians inside North Korea. Pyongyang, the capital, was known as the Jerusalem of the East in the early 1900s because of its 2,000-plus churches. The communist government depends on, and please forgive me, I forget how to pronounce this word correctly. It's spelled J-U-C-H-E. Basically, it's the, the communist state religion of North Korea. It is the North Korean religion that requires worship and subservience to the Kim family. To mainstay... To, the communist government depends upon this state religion to maintain their control, their stability. Christianity is, of course, considered subversive. Anyone discovered to be a Christian, or in many cases discovered to have had even contact with Christian ideas, is considered an enemy of the state. The gospel is still proclaimed in North Korea through various creative means, including shortwave radio and bold evangelists who risk their lives smuggling materials into the country. Religious freedom there is non-existent, and the government claims all North Koreans follow the state religion. 
if discovered Christians face harsh persecution from the government and from members of the community. In general, all North Koreans fear being accused of acting benevolently towards an enemy of the state. Christians are sent to concentration camps where they are starved, overworked, and tortured. North Koreans have a saying, whenever two or three people are gathered together, one of them is a spy. This is true even in family settings as children are taught to spy on their parents from a very early age. Therefore, North Korean Christians must be extremely careful in what they say, what they do, and how they pray. All must be done in secret. When a Christian is discovered, the government punishes the entire family. Despite the threat of persecution and heavy social pressure, Christians in North Korea hold firmly to their faith. For example, one North Korean defector told Voice of the Martyrs that her mother continued to shelter orphans even after they stole from her. Christian and secular analysts estimate that about 30,000 Christians are suffering in prison and labor camps. It is very dangerous to own a Bible in North Korea. Owning even a few pages of a Bible can result in detention in a concentration camp. But there are still secret ways to obtain one. Most North Koreans have found that memorization is the safest way to keep God's word. Voice of the Martyrs provides Bibles via balloon launches and broadcasts. Christian teaching over a special radio network and ministers to North Koreans whenever and wherever they are found. Please pray for these folks today through the following week and forever. These folks are some of the folks most in the world who, who need our help and who need our prayers. And pray for the day when the scourge of communism is wiped from the face of this earth. Either by God's human agents or by the hand of God himself. And to you folks around the world who are counting on us, pray for us to keep that sacred flame of liberty alive in this world, now and forever. Pray for us. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, ruler of heaven and earth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one and only true living God, creator, high king of heaven, ruler of the universe, you who devised the divine plan from eternity past, you who are maintaining it, sustaining it, you who shall complete it to the last dot of the last I on the last day, the end which is yet a new beginning. We thank you for making us and creating us, redeeming us to be part of this plan. And we thank you for giving us the grand narrative, the big picture, in your sacred library, and in particular in this inspired sacred letter that we are studying now our blessed brother Paul's words to our brothers and sisters in Ephesus in dark and pagan times. And these words have been proclaimed throughout 2,000 years in dark and pagan times and still are and ever shall be. For the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the sovereign God will endure forever. And we thank you and praise you that your word is going out even through this very humble little church the words of the Sovereign God are going out to the ends of the earth. And your word will accomplish precisely what you have decreed that it will accomplish. Salvation 
because of the divine plan being perfectly executed in Jesus Christ, God the Son. And his good work applied to the souls of human beings by God the Spirit, by the decree of the Father, through the power of the spoken and recorded word. We pray for Pam and her illness in Cincinnati. Heal her and her husband, raise her up. Restore her in good health to her family. I pray for a meeting in a church in Springfield, which has began just these past few moments. I pray for your servant leaders of that church, and I pray that every member of that church will have the courage and the bravery to do the right thing and will make wise decisions faithful to your word, which will honor and glorify you. I pray for Shelley's nephew Scott and his children in the very difficult times in which they are now facing. Give them the felt presence of your spirit. Inspire her nephew to be obedient, loyal, and dutiful to you. And I pray for those children that this family who does love and know you will bring those children into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. May you be glorified even in the tough times in the life of this family. I pray for Kim's friend Elsie who is trying to get to Kentucky today to see her brother. I pray that her brother's soul is happy and in you and he will be prepared to step into eternity, perhaps this very day. I pray for his salvation. I pray for his sister Elsie. I pray for her safety in traveling through all of this rain. Help her to arrive there safe and sound. Help her to enjoy her last moments with her brother this side of eternity. And I pray on the day of days that you will reunite them in your eternal kingdom. I pray for our brothers and sisters who are in North Korea. Oh God Almighty, please help them. Please help them. Please help them in any way and every way that they need. Some way, somehow, keep your word flowing in to that place of terrible darkness. We pray that one day freedom and liberty may come to North Korea. We pray that the terrible slavery that all of those people live under will be broken one day. That these people will be free to hear the gospel and to worship in freedom without being tortured and abused and imprisoned and starved. Please help these folks to have courage and bravery in the power of your spirit and in the truth of your word to see them through their very rough pilgrimage this side of eternity on their way to their eternal home. We pray for everyone who has been watching and listening in the five, six or more states here in our own country, in our own community, and for the folks in the Philippines and Poland and Nigeria and India and Canada and others that we may not be aware of. Fill them with the power of your spirit and the truth of your word to translate your words into action in their life and to be a bright and shining witness and testimony to the coming kingdom of Jesus, to the eternal kingdom, the world to come, the real world, the lasting world. Help them in their trials and troubles and situations. Help us here and as a nation to not let them down. Help us to do our duty here in our country to fight the evil of communism which threatens us and to do our duty to the death and beyond, whatever the cost may be. 
to quote our founders, to keep that sacred fire of liberty alive in this world, not only for ourselves, but for men and women and children the world over. To be a shining city set upon a hill, a light and a hope, no matter how that concept is mocked by the evil one and those who belong to him. Give us the strength and power and courage to do our duty in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and in defending freedom for ourselves and for folks. It is amazing how folks the world over are watching and are listening and are hoping in us, praying for us. Forgive us of our sins, all those rotten little faults and failures, even big ones, that we stumble on on a daily basis. Forgive us of our flesh. Forgive us of the old man that we wage war against, as Brother Paul would say. Clean us up. Lift us up by the truth of your word and the power of your spirit to draw closer to you. This, Paul, this prayer that Paul prays in the letter of Ephesians that we are being taught now, help us to apply this prayer to our own lives and to pray this prayer for others. Christian believers here in the broad. This prayer that we today for strength, for understanding, for the power of the Spirit in our lives to do whatever is required of us for whatever it is that you call us to do. Forgive us of our feeble prayers and our lack of prayer. Drive us to our knees in prayer. Each and every day, all the day. And to be bright and shining lights for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for our sister Claudia and for her witness and her testimony, for the inspiration that she has been to us and her family. Heal her body completely of this illness and give her and her family further cause for rejoicing and help us truly to come before you as Christian pilgrims ourselves this week in honor of our forebears four centuries ago who came here for religious freedom to pursue the gospel in freedom. Thank you for their suffering and for their sacrifice, for their witness and for their example. Help us to follow in their footsteps whenever it is required of us. Please accept this very imperfect prayer on behalf of everyone who is being prayed for. And may everything that is said and done here this morning, here and afterwards, bring praise and honor and glory to you in true thankfulness and gratitude. O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer, may the meditations of all of our hearts here and abroad, may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord our God. You who truly are our one and only hope and you who are more than hope enough for one and all and forever. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Would you join me please in standing for the reading of the word of the Lord? We will finish chapter 3 today. Uh, we will finish something of Paul's prayer that he resumes in this passage, a prayer he began earlier in the letter. And we'll finish the chapter, chapter 3, verses 11 to 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 to 21, a prayer for strength and understanding. Hear then the words of the Sovereign Lord. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory, or for your glorification. 
For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think, according to that power which works within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and forevermore. Amen. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. So we continue with the divine plan, according to Paul, as given him by the Holy Spirit, the plan in Christ, according to Paul, the divine plan now being worked out throughout history, the divine plan which has been fully revealed in the work of Christ. We will also, in today's passage, as you've noticed, beginning in verse 14, enter into a prayer, or actually resume a prayer that Paul is praying for believers in Ephesus, and as this is recorded sacred scripture for all Christians in all generations, he is praying for us by association and extension, pardon me. Prayer for spiritual strength is insight, knowledge, wisdom. Verse 11 again. Um, actually, I missed verse 11. I began in verse 12 when we were reading, didn't I? Forgive me. Verse 11. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So remember the truth of chapter 3 that we have been unpacking for the past week or so. All that we have learned up to this point. This all is in accordance with the eternal plan. The purpose which he, God the Father, carried out or executed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, let me offer you this translation as well. According to the eternal plan which he executed, is executing, is working out, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal plan or purpose, as I love these phrases in the original Greek language which deal with concepts of eternity and time. Protethesin ton aionion. Eternal plan or purpose mean in the age beyond all ages past this plan was devised and it is now being perfectly executed. God is now accomplishing his eternal plan in Christ, the divine plan. This is a plan purposed, of course, by God before the universe was made in eternity past. Protethesin ton aionion. I love these poetic expressions in the original Greek. In ages beyond all ages past. You folks who have your ESV study Bible, take note of it today. I'm going to quote it three or four times. I like to use it because many of you use that study Bible, but there are some excellent notes in that study Bible in the book of Ephesians. I like this quote from their study note on verse 11. God's redemption in Christ originated in the fathomless sea of eternity. I love that. How beautifully put that is. God's redemption in Christ originated in the fathomless sea of eternity. With God's manifold wisdom, God's plan of salvation to the ends of the earth had to be put into effect in human history, which God did through the earthly work of His incarnate Son, Jesus the Christ, who took upon Himself a human body and a human nature at the perfect time, according to that divine plan. End quote there. Paul writes, 
This plan which he, God the Father, carried out, this divine plan in Jesus Christ our Lord. This plan was carried out, or a very important part of that divine plan was carried out, in Christ's first advent, as we are coming up upon the traditional advent season, as some denominations commemorate. The first advent, the first arrival, the first arrival of God the Son and His incarnation in the flesh to perform the mission of His atoning work. And this plan, of course, will be all sewed up, will be all summed up, as Paul says, when the King returns to conclude the divine plan. Verse 12, In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Now this is very important. Let me offer you another translation. In whom we have freedom of access with confidence through faith. I'm persuaded by many New Testament Greek scholars that probably the best way to translate the original Greek, there may not be bold access, but freedom of access. The word is paresion in the Greek. And it should perhaps better be translated as freedom of access, in whom Jesus, in whom we have freedom of access, thereby giving us confidence through our faith in Him to approach God. So what Paul is saying is this, in this era of the divine plan, the era of the plan you're living in now, the era of the new covenant, all people who put their faith in Jesus Christ, remember Jews and Gentiles, all coming together as one, one redeemed people, this new life gives you great freedom of access to God. This would have blown the minds of pagans 2,000 years ago. It should blow our minds now, pardon the common vernacular expression, because of Jesus Christ, you sinful, impure, wretched, little, finite, troubled, imperfect creatures that we are, may now have free and confident access to God the Almighty, the Creator, the High King of Heaven. Access to the Father. And far greater access now than what was possible during the era of the Old Covenant, don't forget. Paul is saying that Christian believers, God's adopted children, can pray, can speak, can approach. God now more freely, now more openly, now more confidently than ever. Free access, no constraints. This carries absolutely, by the way, no hint of presumption or no hint of arrogance. Some people make the mistake of being very presumptuous, even arrogant when they approach God. There is absolutely no hint of presumption or arrogance here in what Paul is saying. We are to approach the high king of heaven with reverence and with worship and with uttermost respect. Yet... At the same time, you can go to Him with confidence as the Eternal Father with free access. A unique time in history to be alive. The word that, he, that we translate as freedom of access or bold access, in the original Greek, it, it initially means the ability to speak candidly or openly or frankly with somebody. That's what it means. The candidness or frankness that friends or family should be able to to enjoy with one another and speaking with one another. That's how you can now approach God the Father because of the plan accomplished in Christ. Because of what Christ has accomplished in our behalf by divine plan, by divine decree, believers can now approach God with free access and full confidence. Take advantage of that. There is no excuse not to. You do not have to approach God by way of any strange rites and rituals anymore. Anytime, anywhere, you have free access to approach Him and talk to Him. 
As theologian S.M. Bauer writes in his commentary, quote, The church has the ear of the sovereign king of heaven, the king of creation, who really does listen with real interest and compassion to those who are now adopted members of his own human family. End quote. Verse 13. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations and my troubles and trials on your behalf, for they are your glory, or they are for your glory. They are for accomplishing your eventual glorification. Suffering in this life, Paul tells us, is a necessary passage. Oh, how we do not like to hear that. But it is an absolute truth. Suffering in this life, in this life's pilgrimage, is a necessary rite of passage. It is also what many theologians call a necessary prelude to prepare you for the glory that is to come and the glory that is to follow, the eventual and final ultimate glorification of every human being who has received new life in Christ the Redeemer. Suffering is a necessary passage and a necessary prelude for that final and eventual glorification. And that will take place in all believers when Christ Jesus our Lord returns and the new age, the eternal age, then begins. Paul is letting his Ephesian readers know what? Don't be depressed because of what's happening to me. Remember, it's all part of the plan. Don't be depressed. Don't be despairing. Do not lose heart. Because I'm in custody and confinement. Remember what he told us earlier? He is Jesus Christ's prisoner, not Nero Caesar's prisoner. This is the agenda of the kingdom of the sovereign God, not the agenda of the Roman state or the Roman Empire. This is for Christ's agenda for his people, not the agenda of Rome. And so Paul says, don't ekakeo, which means do not fail, do not faint, do not be wary, do not lose heart. This is all for your greater good. Never forget that. This is all for your final glorification in Christ. My so-called trials and troubles are part of the plan for the greater good. Do not ever give in. Do not ever give up. No matter what happens to me in this world, and for that matter, no matter what happens to you in this world, your salvation and position in Christ Jesus' kingdom is secure, and it is eternal. Do not think that God has ever forsaken me, forsaken you, or forsaken the gospel. This is all part of the plan. And the plan ends in eternal glory, beyond your wildest imaginings. Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So now Paul enters into his prayer. A prayer for those for whom he is writing to. A prayer for strength and for understanding. And so now in the remainder of the chapter, Paul takes up again a prayer. A prayer for the Ephesian believers. And really, he prays for us across the centuries. The prayer that he began earlier. He tells us how he prays for other believers. If you want to know how to pray for other believers, this is it. Model and emulate his prayer. Use his words, at least as a model. At least as a start. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. That is because of what I'm saying to you, writing to you right now. Because of all the truth that I have written to you about. Because of all the truth that I am going to give you before the conclusion of this letter. For this great mission for which I am a prisoner, Christ's prisoner. For this reason, I am driven to worship God and pray for you. 
That's Paul's response to the truth. What's our response to the truth? Is this our response to the truth that confronts us? Are we driven to our knees before God the Father to worship Him and to pray for others because of the truth that Paul is confronting us with here, these ultimate realities? The only appropriate response is to worship God, isn't it? To come to Him in prayer, and yes, to pray for others, not to present Him with our own grocery list, but to pray for others. I bow my knees before the Father. This is one of the principal verses that has inspired Christian believers for 2,000 years to bow their knees in prayer. It is a good thing to do. I encourage you to do it every single solitary day, in company or alone. To bow your knees before God Almighty the Father is the high King of Heaven. It will be good for you. This is the right and proper attitude for prayer. And yes, we should emulate this whenever possible. Verse 15. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now there's going to be one or two translations. This is somewhat difficult in the Greek. And there's something of a debate amongst Bible translators as to how to translate this. There are two different ways that you can translate this from the original Greek. So two translations and two interpretations. But the idea behind them both remains the same. Let me give you these translations. One is, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The other translation is, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth receives its name. Well, let's work our way through them both. In this translation, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. Well, this would mean, I believe, hang my hat with the theologians who believe if this translation is a correct one, and there's a lot to recommend it, then this would mean that every family group of every created being in creation, human, angelic, perhaps even animal, was created by the sovereign God, and He thereby names them all because He made them. Every kind, as Genesis would say, every type, every species of created living being, human, angelic, animal, was made by God, and as a creator God, He rules over them, and He has the authority to name them all. His power and authority is creator God. The second translation I will offer you is this, from whom the whole family, slightly different, in heaven and on earth receives its name. Now, if this is a correct translation, and there's a lot to recommend it as well, then this would mean the whole family would be probably referring to the whole family of God. The whole family of God's redeemed people. God's family. God is the head or the father of His family. Of His family of redeemed human creatures who are to bear His image in eternity. So family in heaven, now put that together. Should be fairly easy, right? Family in heaven would be a reference to those who have gone before us and are already in heaven with the Father. And those who are on earth, of course, would be a reference to those believers who are presently on the earth waiting to go home or waiting for home to come to them. Either translation and interpretation stresses God's absolute sovereignty and authority as creator over all created beings. That's the main point. And the main point remains the same. Verse 16, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power 
through His Spirit in the inner man. Now earlier in this letter, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, if you recall, Paul prayed for believers to gain a greater understanding and awareness of God's power working in this divine plan, bringing this divine plan to pass. Here, if you notice, Paul prays that God the Father will give believers power and strength. The word for power is dunamis, explosive, overwhelming, irresistible power, the word by which we come by the English word dynamite. The word strength is kratayo, uh, which means strength as in um, ability, uh, vigor, vitality, energy, that type of strength. That type of strength and power by way of His Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit-given spiritual strength, vitality, and power. Energy. In what? In where? In the inner man. The inner self. The real you, as we say. The very core of your being. Your soul. Your spirit. It's an amazing thing to pray for. Why? So that we may live united and bonded to Him, living this life wisely and well doing our duty in our pilgrimage on our way to our eternal home. That's why Paul says in this verse, according to the riches of His glory. Interesting thing to say. God, the glorious God, the God who is rich in glory, plautos rich in glory. Plautos, the strongest word for wealth in the Greek language. Extravagant, incomprehensible, rich in glory God. The God who is the source of all glory. The God who possesses all glory and possesses all authority and power. He is the one who is perfectly willing and able to impart to His redeemed people this strength and power that they need by way of His Holy Spirit, by the agency of His Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God. He is the power source of His people. He is the power source for His people. The power to what? To be and do whatever God requires of us to be and do. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to, and we will proceed onwards when we arrive at verse 18. So that first of all, let's unpack so that Christ may be so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, pardon me, through faith, and so that you would be rooted and grounded in love, agape love, godlike love, the love which is a gift of God. The love that I believe we can only possess by being given this type of love as a gift from God. So that Christ may take up his dwelling in your hearts through faith. That's an interesting thing to say. Notice that Paul first spoke of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your heart and your soul. Now he speaks of the indwelling Christ. What do you have here? You have the doctrine of the Trinity. This is the unity of the Trinity. When you have the Spirit, you have Christ. You have the Holy Spirit of God, you have the Spirit of Christ. You have one, you have them all. They are one. God is distinctly three in His personhood, yet He is one in His nature and His essence and His being. Father, Son, and Spirit are one. Three in one person, one being. That beautiful and deep mystery of Trinity. That the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, may dwell in your hearts. Cardia. Not that little muscle pumping blood in our chests. But according to the ancients, metaphorically, it means the core of your being. The place where the will, the intellect, the emotions, the soul, the spirit rests. That He may dwell, that He may live in the very core of your being. Thereby giving you supernatural life and vitality and vigor and strength. Through faith. 
by way of your saving faith in God the Son. And the new life that saving faith in God the Son brings. What does he mean by through faith? Paul prays for the entire life of faith. All that faith in Christ means and brings to us. The entire life process of growth in faith. The entire transformation of the believer's faith in Christ from your new birth, your conversion, all the way through your life to your future glorification in eternity. The complete life of faith in Christ. That you being rooted and grounded in love. He also prays, obviously, that believers are rooted and grounded in love. What exactly does that mean? According to the ESV Study Bible, those who have the ESV Study Bible on your laps, love, and yes, it is agape love, Love is the natural and necessary outcome of a living faith that is the fruit of Christ's work in the Christian. And quote, it's agape love, the highest, noblest, truest form of love. The love He gives to us is a gift that we are to reciprocate back to Him and that, as Paul would say, we are to shed abroad amongst our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He prays that believers will know and experience God's love so that their lives will really be rooted and grounded in the best way. He's praying for stability. That's what he means. If you're rooted and you're grounded, you're stable. You want stability? Here it is. In fact, this is the one and only true source of true stability to be had in this world until he returns. That you will experience God's love so that your life will be stable. Rooted and grounded in the best way, in Him, in His love for us. That's true stability in life and for life. Verse 18. Being rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. I like this. <laughs> that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints or with all the remainder of the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? What in the world is he saying there? Let's pick this apart. Let me give you this translation as well. That you may be fully able to grasp or entirely capable of grasping with all the saints, with all the remainder of the saints. Now, the original word that he uses for able to comprehend or fully able to grasp or entirely capable of grasping is this, katalembano. And katalambano means a physical, in a physical gesture. Katalambano means for somebody to seize or grasp or, or clutch onto somebody or something. It can also mean something metaphorical. Here, metaphorically, it means he wants you to seize onto, grasp onto an idea, a truth, a concept, a knowable reality. As we would say, he wants you to be able to get your mind around something successfully really get a hold on it what the breadth and length and height and depth with well, the breadth and length and height and depth of what what does that mean what is he speaking of again I quote the ESV study Bible who states very well what he means the immeasurable dimensions of God's riches in Christ that's what he wants you to get your mind's arms around the length and depth, breadth and height, the depth, the absolutely immeasurable, profound depths and riches of God in Jesus Christ. What that means, what that brings, what that's all about. 
Paul wants all of the saints, Haggioi in the Greek, holy ones, those being made holy by salvation in Christ, to be able to get their minds around, their hearts to grasp the immeasurable dimensions of God's riches in Christ. That's what he's praying for, for you. And that's what we are to pray for one another. A task that's going to occupy us for this life and eternity. As Clint Arnold writes in his commentary, do you see what Paul is saying here? You have to be strengthened by God, or you're not going to get this. Believers have to be strengthened. They need to be strengthened by God by way of the Holy Spirit, so that you can even begin to hope to comprehend the magnitude of His power and love manifested towards His people. End quote. Yes, by divine plan and decree, never forget. Verse 19, And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, that's a startling thing to say. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, or you could translate that as meaning to know the love of Christ, which exceeds our understanding. I'll quote the ESV for the last time this morning. There's another wonderful statement that they make in the textual notes on verse 19. Quote, to know what surpasses knowledge is the sublime privilege of the Christian. I like that. To know what surpasses knowledge. That's a privilege. And it is, it is a sublime privilege only available to the Christian. You see, Paul is praying for God to give believers the ability to know and understand that which we otherwise would not be able to fully understand or comprehend. What? The love of Christ which is so magnificent it surpasses all knowledge or human understanding. The wonderful fullness of the love of Jesus Christ exceeds our understanding. God must help us to understand and to know. The love of Christ is so great it very well is... very well may. It, it's going to take eternity for us to be able to comprehend the full extent of it. You cannot reach the limits of God, Father, Son, or Spirit, the infinite being. That And all of this in order to what? That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. That is almost a shocking thing to say. What in the world is that all about? That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God? Or allow me to offer you something in 21st century vernacular, as we would say. That you may be filled up to the brim with all the fullness of God. Now let's handle this carefully. It's an incredible thing to say, to pray for. So what exactly is he asking? What does he mean here? Of course, this has challenged some of the finest Christian thinkers over the past 2,000 years. There's been a great deal of thought, debate, and ink spilled over what Paul is saying here. So what exactly does he mean? First of all, let us say loud and clear what he does not mean. Obviously, he does not mean that somehow we become divine. When he means you are filled up to the fullness of God, he does not say that somehow you become divine, that you become little semi-gods and goddesses, or that you become little demi-gods and goddesses. He does not mean that. There is only one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He and He alone. We do not become divine. We experience and encounter divine. The divine lives in us by way of the Spirit, but we do not become divine. That is not what he means. We are only finite human creatures, 
even when completed by God as we were originally meant to be image bearers of God in eternity. So what then does he mean? Well, if you examine very carefully the truth taught in this letter, and allow me to add the remainder of the truth given to us in the New Testament, let me make this answer a little bit shorter. The answer to what he's saying here may be probably is simpler than what one may at first think. Let me answer you by way of something of a paraphrase. I believe that what Paul is saying is this. I pray that God may fill you up to the full measure of His own presence. I pray that God may fill you up, brothers and sisters, to the full overflowing measure of His full presence in and through and over your life. He wants the full presence of God in your life, in your life as an individual, and in your life corporately as a member of the people of God, His body, His bride, His commonwealth, His temple. All of those wonderful metaphors used for Christian believers as one, the people of God. Paul prays that Christian believers individually will be filled with the Spirit, but corporately together may be filled up again clearly may be filled up to the full measure of God's presence in your life. Filled by His Spirit as an individual, and filled up to full measure with His presence corporately as the church. This is the purpose. Remember the big plan. This is the reason why you and I are alive. This is the reason why we were created in the first place. This is the reason why we were redeemed. This is a purpose for our creation and redemption. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And if you're going to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, you must be filled up to the full measure of His presence in and over your life. So Paul is asking, God, that believers be filled that you experience a greater and greater and greater measure of His divine presence in your life. Now remember what he said last week, you people are the temple, you're the new temple, you're the temple of God in this era of history, to be filled with His presence and filled with His glory. Remember, keep that in mind. Keep this all together. Just as the glory of the presence of God filled up the Old Testament era temple under the Old Covenant, so now, for this era in history, Paul earnestly prays that the divine presence of God will fill up to overflowing the New Covenant era temple. Which is who, which is what? You and I. The new covenant era temple made up of His redeemed people. That's what He means. That's what He's praying for. And now the conclusion. Now we enter into this magnificent benediction, or this doxology, one of the most beloved in the New Testament. I use it all the time for our church services here. And uh, it's going to come as a big surprise to you. We're going to use it today. When we close the service today. Beautiful, Spirit-inspired doxology benediction. Now to Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. So Paul concludes his prayer. It's really very simple, isn't it? But it's very, very beautiful. An inspired doxology, a doxological song. As a matter of fact, many church historians believe that, yes, this is the inspired Word of God, of course. But this may have actually been something of a formal song in the early church. 
a hymn or a doxology for the early church that Paul incorporated as sacred scripture in this letter. And the Christian church the world over for 2,000 years has used this benediction. As well we should. It should always be the case. So what Paul has been teaching here, what he's been praying for, it drives him, it compels him to worship. And we should be compelled to do exactly the same thing with the truth he confronts us with. Let's work through this. Now to him, God the Father, particularly, or arguably God as Trinity, who is willing, who is perfectly able and capable, who has the strength, the power, to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or even think. That's a stunning thing to say. What is he saying? He's worshiping God for who God is. He's saying this is who God is. This is what God is. This is who He is. This is what He does. This is what He is capable of. Your translation is going to say exceeding abundantly or far more abundantly. Let me give you a very rare word in the original Greek. This word is used only two other times in the whole New Testament. I hope I pronounce it correctly. Huperic parisos. Huperic parisos. Exceeding abundantly, far more abundantly. What it means is beyond all measure. Beyond the ability to measure. Super abundant. Beyond all super abundance. That's who he's saying God is. That's what God is capable of. That's what God is able to do. God can do beyond all possible measure all that you could possibly ask for. God is capable, willing, and able to do beyond measure anything that you could even possibly imagine or think of or dream up or comprehend. That's what he's saying. Just by virtue of who he is. His divine attributes. His omnipotence, not to mention the others. According to his what? This divine power is the same divine power that works in you. This is what blows my mind into flaming splinters. You mean to tell me that power is in me? That power watches over me? That power has me in the plan and is moving me right along in the plan? Yes. That's exactly what he's saying. That is the power that created you. That is the power that made you part of the plan. That is the plan that saved you from yourself and the flesh and the devil, as the old theologians would say. That is the power that is working in you right now to place you on your way to being glorified and an image bearer of the eternal God in the eternal age, in the eternal kingdom. The same power that works in us, the same power to save, the same power to transform, the power that works in us to bring us to perfection and to bear His image in eternity. And to conclude the benediction, verse 21, of course, is an act of gratitude and thanks and worship. Perfect passage to study a week before Thanksgiving. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and forever. Amen. Have you ever thought about verse 21 carefully? He says something pretty interesting. 
<coughs> forgive me. Now, now read it again. Let's read it again. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, one thing's obvious. We should be able to fully understand how God's glory is in Christ Jesus. For Christ Jesus is God, God the Son. Another passage in the New Testament will call Jesus the very radiance of God's glory. We should be able to understand that readily and rightly enough. But Paul says God's radiant glory is to reside in the church. God's radiant glory resides in the church. His redeemed people, His image bearers. That is an amazing thing to say. Paul is again, and by the way, this is the only place in the Bible, the only place in the New Testament where the Apostle says the glory of God in the church. The glory of God resides in the church as well as in the divine Son. It's an amazing thing to say. What is he saying? This. Paul is again expressing the idea that God's presence will fill his people, will fill his church as His presence and His glory filled the Old Testament temple. And this is to be not merely now, at this particular stage in the divine plan, this is to be to last throughout all generations. Forever and forever. Aeonios ton aeonion. For eternity. Amen. And Paul uses... The word Amen, half Hebrew, half Aramaic, which means truth, truly, so be it, forever. As a friend of theologian, S.M. Bow, a man by the name of Pastor Wayne Forkner put it, quote, The church of Jesus Christ in this world is the embassy of the new creation, the new heaven and new earth in this world, end quote. And it does, and it should, and it will bear the glory of the eternal God in this world and in the world to come. Now, you may not feel very glorious right now. The glory of God the Almighty is in His church. In troubled America, in troubled Africa, in troubled Asia, in troubled North Korea. And it's not just a cutesy little saying that when things are darkest, light burns the brightest and drives away the darkness. And that's what we are and what we are to be in this world. And you will bear the image of the God of glory and bear His glory forever and forever, in the age to come, for eternity. Amen. So be it. True. Reason to be thankful this week. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for the magnificent truth given to us by Brother Paul in his confinement. This is what his confinement was all about.
to build the hearts and minds and souls of Christian believers for 2,000 years and thousands and thousands of years yet. For the words he wrote inspired by your spirit will never die, will never fade. Thank you for this plan. Thank you for giving us the plan that we know in the end all will be well. That is the understatement of the ages. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for making us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for making us part of this plan from before this universe was ever spoken into existence. This is the stability that those who are in Christ Jesus have, no matter what this world at this stage in history throws at us. We know where this world is headed. We know where we are headed to the real world. The world that's on its way. The world that will never end. And so to you we offer worship and thanks and gratitude now and forever. Amen. To